friends, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. So excited to have you for episode 80, where I talk with one of the co-founders of Morning Brew, Austin Reef. Now, many listening and may know Morning Brew. For those that don't, let me do a quick table setting. It's a free daily digest email. Go to morningbrew.com or look in the show notes, click on it, um, go sign up. And see what you think. I mean, what's cool about it is there's a ton of great content that they chop up and kind of give you in a really digestible form. And then you can go off and there's links for additional resources and those type of things. But what I like about it is very focused. You know, there's a lot of crap in the world these days. There's a lot of stuff um, that you can get your news from and you got to search around. This comes to your inbox every morning. You don't have to worry about it. It takes a few minutes to read through. And there's some really great content there. I learn a lot every morning. Um, and I love reading it. So on that note, head over to morningbrew.com or click the link in the show notes. And while you're doing that, let's jump into my chat today with Austin Reef. Let's get it started. Austin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to chat with you. Uh, just because of all this stuff I've uncovered about you and, and the company and stuff, especially over the last handful of months, um, it, it's been really a, a game changer for me personally. I, mean, I want to get into some of that stuff. Let's do this at the beginning. For folks that kind of fast forwarded through the intro to get to the, <laughs> the episode and the interview, can you give maybe the 30 second overview of Morning Brew and what you guys are doing there? Yeah, of course. So uh, Morning Brew is a news company. Uh, our primary product is a daily email newsletter written in a really conversational and witty tone. And it allows you to get the most uh, important business stories of the day in five minutes or less. And it's written to you like uh, your best friends talking to you at a bar. So really conversational, fun, witty. Uh, that's the core product. And, and right now we have four products. So we have Morning Brew. Uh, six days a week newsletter sent out to 1.6-ish million people. We have Retail Brew, which is our retail newsletter, twice a week, going three times a week soon. That's written uh, gearing towards retail professionals, covering the retail industry and the latest news there. We have Emerging Tech Brew, which is covering AI, machine learning, robotics, etc. That's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And we just launched our weekly podcast called Business Casual. And that podcast takes a step back from the day-to-day -day of the newsletter and allows us to cover themes and big trends around the business world. So the first episode was with Scott Galloway. Uh, we talked about big tech. Uh, we just recently had on uh, Samantha Wasser, the founder of By Chloe. Uh, we had Amal, the founder of Notel. So we're really covering some, some big topics there, and that's our product suite. Uh, and from a company perspective, the goal is simple. It's to better engage young business professionals with the business world. Uh, we started off with newsletters, we moved on to audio, and we're going to continue to iterate and create more content, products, and services that help better engage young business professionals with the business world. That's a great overview because I want to dive into some of those different areas, if you will, um, as we go along here. I want to start off though, because I'm just intrigued in general. I want to learn more about you and, and kind of, you know, share some of your story. Before we get into all of this, when you were younger, like growing up, what, what was the, when someone asked you, hey, Austin, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer? It's a good question. I, I actually don't know if I could tell you. I was one of those people that was always switching. Uh, 
I, I was actually, and I, I get made fun uh, for this a lot, but I was really into magic when I was a kid. And one of the reasons, so I would be a magician for a very long time, a close-up magician. I just love the idea of engaging really deeply in something. Uh, you know, most people think of magic as kits or tricks, but actually there's a lot, if you're a really quality magician, which I certainly was not, but there are people out there who are really, really skillful in that idea of sitting down at the table for 10 hours straight and working on something and, and you know, whether it's you know, being able to deceive someone, uh, I just thought it was really, really interesting. And so I was always interested in, in learning new things. Uh, so yeah, a magician was one, but it, it always kind of changed over time. And so how did you, so I noticed, in fact, check me on this, you went to Michigan and kind of had a background in like finance and, you know, capital management, stuff like that. How did you get into that world? Was that part of your upbringing, maybe parents' influence? Was that just something you thought, hey, this is what I need as a background? How, how did you get involved with that? So it, it wasn't my parents. I mean, my, my parents were both, uh, I didn't think of it at the time growing up until recently, I didn't think about it this way. My parents were entrepreneurs. Uh, my dad started and co-ran a series of businesses. My mom was a dentist, but even more than dentists, my mom is a, a business person. She runs her own dental practice, and so she's actually more business person than she is a uh, dentist. Uh, but I decided to go to Michigan. I went to a small private school in Baltimore, Maryland, and went something very different. Michigan's a big state school. Loved the idea of a school with a football program. A lot of people so went there, and, and like a lot of people there, the goal is to get into business school. And so I set my mind to that, and I, I got into the business school after freshman year. And we get into the business school, all everyone talks about is investment banking. So I just you know followed the herd my freshman sophomore year, and said, "What do I have to do to get a good job in investment banking?" And went down that route, route took those classes, uh, networked with those people, and after my junior year, I interned at an investment bank in New York City called Mollison Company. Uh, and, and I thought up until the end of the internship, that was going to be my career, uh, or at least the first two years of my career was going in and working at an investment bank and learning about finance and valuation. So what changed? This, this is the question I really like to ask, especially a lot of these guests on the, on the podcast. Like what, because that was your path. Like if, you know, if you didn't change, it was going to be in 10, 15 years, you're going to be some top investment banker, you know, in New York City or something like that. Like, what was it an idea you got? Was it someone you met that made you think different? What changed during that time that made you say, wait a minute, there's something else here? Yeah, it's a really great question. It's something I talk about. And I have been talking about a lot recently about what changed. A lot of my friends and coworkers went down the path of going to finance. So what caused me to not do so? Uh, I, a lot of luck played into it. I was lucky in the fact that I met my co-founder, Alex, who brought me on to co-found this company. Uh, I was lucky in the fact that I had a family that was supportive enough to allow me to go do this. But what changed my mindset was I started hearing all these people who uh, worked in banks or, or went on from there, and I, I asked them about it, and everyone hated it, or 90% of people really disliked their job, but it was all about what's the next job. Everyone kept on talking about, okay, I don't love this job, or I don't love this company or I don't love this part of the job, but, but my next job will be great. So I'll leverage this job to get into another job I really like. And, then, and I talked to people who worked in that job and said, well, I don't like this job as much as I thought, but my next job's going to be great where I'm going to go back to business school. 
And I, I, I was lucky enough, I think, that, that I was introspective enough to look back on it and, or, or analyze and say, you know, what is going on here? You have people who, who don't love not only their job, but the job they're trying to get towards. They don't like that either. And I think I, I was just a little bit more of a critical thinker at the time than most uh, other people or most of my coworkers. And I had the ability uh, to, to say, I want to look for something else. Now, with that being said, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's really easy to look back and say that I had this level of introspection that you know others didn't. Um, but in fact, a lot of it was just luck and the fact that I was able to have something I actually could go and do. Uh, again, in hindsight also, we didn't have nearly as much traction as we thought we did. You know, we thought we had made a lot of progress, we went full time and started talking to people, you know, what's a lot of subscribers? What's a lot of traction in terms of revenue or conversations? And we realized very quickly, we'd actually accomplished very little. We had a lot more room to go. Uh, but, uh, you know, if I, if I didn't, we didn't have that early traction, if I didn't have those two years at Michigan, not having to pay myself, Alex not having to pay himself, there's no way we would have, we would have had the conviction to go full time uh, on the company. And I'd probably be in my third year as an investment banker. Did you and Alex meet at, um, at Michigan? Yeah, so, so we met 2015. Uh, I started reading this newsletter. I don't even remember I got signed up for it. I think we were in the same fraternity, although he's two years older, I didn't know him. I believe he sent out emails to the whole fraternity uh, asking who wants to sign up for Morning Brew. I signed up, and a few weeks later, he sent out an email saying, hey, I'm looking for a, a co-founder or someone to work on this with. So I responded, I thought, hey, I think I can get some insight here. I think I can make this thing better. And we really just took off. We, we'd work for a couple of weeks on iterating the product. Uh, at the time, it was this crappy PDF template that you attached to an email. There was no way to actually sign up. So a uh, ton of traction to sign up. But we saw, again, it's, it's similar to before. It's hard to know what we thought at the time. Uh, but we saw enough to keep on pushing forward and it was fun enough, it was, it was entrepreneurial enough to, to keep us going and, and people really enjoyed it and the positive and negative feedback, the feedback in general, knowing that people are really engaging uh, just allowed us to keep on continuing to grow. You know, that always fascinates me, the, um, you know, if you didn't respond, it's kind of like those couple of people that never went to Mark Zuckerberg's dorm room, right? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of interesting to me of like, you know, you actually responded and, and you guys hit it off and now here you are and, and, and what you guys are doing, which is awesome. Um, how did Alex, obviously it was an idea he had, was it kind of a scratch, you know, kind of scratch your own itch thing or did he just see kind of a gap he wanted to solve? Like what was the the backing behind Morning Brew initially? Yeah, the story is pretty interesting. So uh, he was a senior in the business school and at the time, and I, I believe still to this day, as a senior, you take very few classes. And so I believe he was taking something like one credit uh, per semester. And so he needs to do something to, to pass the time and, and keep his brain active. And so he started, and he had a job locked up for the following year. A lot of his friends did it. And so, they were re-recruiting, so he sat down with them and started doing interview prep. And through iterations of questions, one that stood out to him was when he would ask, how do you stay up to date with the business world? And he would get a bunch of different answers, but they'd all 
basically give off the same message, which is I read the journal or I read the economist or, or I, I'm on CNBC, but they're not fulfilling. They're not giving me exactly what I need. They're dry, they're dense, they're long, and they're not written for my generation. And so after enough of this feedback, Alex said, ah, I think I can do it better. So we started writing a, a PDF that uh, replaced the in-person in interview prep. So we went from in-person interview prep to PDF to him and I starting a inline real email, uh, originally called the Market Corner and then called Morning Brew. And so how did those early days, I guess, of like splitting up, I mean, obviously you guys probably had to do everything, right? Well, how did you split up like tasks early on? Who would do what, who would do the writing, who would, you know, maybe do more of the, the finance type, you know, operation stuff that was, were you guys kind of mixing and matching on that? Or did someone have defined goals or defined, I guess, roles um, each and every day? It, the fun thing about it was that the, the, it wasn't looked at. We didn't look at it as if it was a business. It wasn't a business. It was just a side project. So there was no finance. There was none of that because there were no finances. Uh, so it was simply just writing a newsletter. And Alex did a, definitely did more writing than I did given. He was taking one class. I was taking I don't know, four or five. But that was the beginning. It was It was a side project. And so you know, the ideas of fundraising or paying ourselves or whatever, I mean, equity, those, those conversations were all uh, not even on the roadmap because it was just a fun thing we were doing. Now, as we graduated and we transitioned from a side project to a business, we then had to make a lot of those decisions and figure out where we're best suited. Uh, we learned pretty quickly. I'm more the analytical mind. I do more of the uh, finance and, and uh, play a CRO role, uh, a COO role. Whereas Alex is more of the content mind, thinking more about how we resonate with readers, how we create more products and services that people engage with. Uh, he's more of the creative mind. So that's how we've done it in the last year and a half, two years. One, I wanted to jump into something on that. I'm going to put a pin in that for myself for a second, but because I want to go back, you mentioned he'd sent out that early PDF just to the, I think it was the fraternity and, and probably slowly gained some traction there. What was the early feedback from the people that read it? Was it overly positive? Was there a lot of like, hey, this is good, but you should do this? And how did that early feedback affect you guys to, to ultimately maybe make some changes or at least stay in the same direction you were? Alex had a lot of feedback early on. A lot of it was positive. And, I, and actually, the way he tells the story, that's one of the reasons he brought me on was because so many people were giving positive feedback. And a lot of that was warranted. But a lot of it was also just patting on the back. And I was one of the only people that came in and actually gave critical feedback and, and giving advice on how we can get better. The original uh, market corner had uh, stock picking and I knew very quickly we could take that out of there uh, for many different reasons, uh, but we wanted to stay pretty objective. And so that was the feedback I gave, but in general it was a lot of good feedback and we kept on iterating and, and we, we thought about for a while how lifestyle do we want to be. How much tone do we want to have? How factual versus opinionated do we want to be? And we just tinkered with it. And, and over time, uh, we took a lot of feedback. So the, there's pros and cons of email. One of the cons of which is there's very little in the way of built-in feedback mechanisms. Uh, it's a very non-metric driven medium. So it was tough to get feedback, but 
we transitioned from a really finance-heavy piece of content. So we used to cover every big earnings report. So every time Pepsi and Apple and Coke and, and all these companies would report earnings, we'd cover them all. And we started thinking about our editorial standards and what people care about. And we started to think, it, you know, it is a Q3 Pepsi earnings where very little happens. Is that a top five story of the day? And we determined that you know, if not that much happens, it's not. And so we've, we've iterated a lot. We've become way more holistic in our coverage. Uh, also in 2015, we were covering zero politics. Even now, we try to stay away from true politics stories if there's not a business twist, but politics and business are so entangled these days with the trade war and with uh, you know, everything that happened in 2016, 2017 with tax cuts. So we've covered significantly more uh, political stories than we did in 2015. I want to go down that path a little bit further because I'm, I'm curious, how do you source your content? Like, how do you figure out what stories go in or what don't go in or what insight? Because you mentioned you can go really deep down the barrel on some stuff or keep it high level in others. Are those tough decisions that you guys are making daily or have you gotten to a cadence where it's like, okay, we kind of have a, have a flow of what we generally like to put in here? Yeah, the content team has a really good idea of what they want to write about. And, and the beauty of the business is, we are, for the most part, a bunch of millennial business interested people. And what that allows us to do is it allows us to write for ourselves. We're not writing for other people. We essentially write for ourselves. And we know that if we like the content, we like the story selection, given that we're writing for ourselves, more, a lot of people will like that. It turns out there's 1.6 million people and growing uh, like that. But there's certainly editorial standards and we have the guidelines for what we cover and what we don't and how we cover it. But for the most part, and I think uh, Tim Urban said this, he's a, the founder of a blog called Wait But Why, and I'm a huge fan of. Uh, but when he started, he started writing for himself, and he, he talked a lot about how people like to think they're unique, but in actuality, there are, there are millions of people just like you. And so if you write content that you'd like, chances are a lot of people will like that content. And that's the bet we made we made the bet that if we write content that's interesting to us, that's written the tone we like, others will like it too. And we've seen that to be true. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great advice uh, to kind of have that, that sole focus. And then ultimately, yeah, there'll be other people out there, obviously, that you know, have similar minds to that. So when did you realize you had something then? We're like, wait a minute, we're starting to get a lot of subscribers here. Was that more recently or was that back in 2015, 2016? I get this question a lot. It certainly wasn't in 2015 or 2016. Uh, but what happens is the goalposts just continue to move back. So when we started, we said, you know, if we could only get a thousand subscribers, that'd be incredible. And then we got to a thousand subscribers. And then we're like, oh, that's cool. But, but it's not as if that happened overnight. It wasn't an overnight launch. It's the idea of an overnight success, X years in the making or X months in the making. So when you see that, you know, that's pretty cool. But Let's set the goal to 10,000. And then you hit 10,000. You're like, well, 10,000 is cool, but we want to hit 100,000. You keep on going, the goalposts keep shifting. And that's been our mindset since day one. We've had this. And actually, it's one thing we, we struggle with is celebrating the small wins. I don't think we do a great job of that because we've been so focused on, on those goalposts continuing to get wider and moving further and further back, having more ambitious goals. Uh, but it certainly wasn't in 2015 or 2016 where we knew we had something. 
we raised an angel note in 2017, a convertible note. Uh, 2018, we were four or five people. We were about 100,000 subscribers. I would still say we didn't think we had something truly special that we knew was going to take off. We knew we had the potential. We had a spark, but we didn't have something yet. But as 2018 progressed and we started to see the subscriber kind of get in the 400, 500, and 600,000 range, and we saw a clear path to a million subscribers, we knew at that point that's something special. Let's start planning for the future and let's focus on what's next. How can we make this bigger and better? And not just be a single product, which is a single newsletter, how can we be a full company? And one of the other things I know a lot of founders struggle with is going from, you know, again, you were in the grind in the trenches every day as you now putting the, you know, the, the newsletter together. And now you're in more of a leadership role, right? You're doing different things. You're not, you know, you're not involved maybe as much with a content team or those type of things. So kind of a, almost a two prong question. How did you transition out of that first role of kind of co-founder into now that COO, that kind of leadership role? Was that difficult for you? And, and, you know, what are some things obviously that maybe you miss about that, that you still like to get your hands in, involved in if you can? Yeah, I'd say it was definitely a difficult transition. And for what it's worth, we're still in the midst of that transition. We've had a few big hiring spurts. We haven't been as gradual as we probably should have been. But we went from about four to start 2018 to end of 2018. Again, we had that revelation where we woke up and we said, wow, we, we really have something here. But we're not going to be able to service this revenue that, that, that we can generate we're, we're understaffed from a writing perspective, from a marketing perspective, from everything we're understaffed. And so we went from 10 to 21 from January 1st to May 1st, 2019. And again, now we're in this big spurt as well where we're going from uh, 20 to 35 by end of the year. And part of that has been Part of the reason it's been so lumpy is simply because we haven't spent as much time being managers and being leaders of the company. And so that's really what this year and especially the last few months have been all about is implementing structure, implementing a leadership team. We're in the process of implementing an advisory board. And all of these things have just helped myself and helped Alex get out of this mindset of being in the day to day and being a leader and it's difficult right it's not easy to pass off your baby uh for me it was in the weeds and growth uh for alex it was in content uh, it was also sales for alex and so it's not easy and, and i certainly miss the day-to-day -day, but obviously at some point you have to move on and build a team which has been really exciting uh we haven't talked about this but one of the things i strongly believe is that 99% of the time, media and venture capital don't mix. And in 2017, we decided to raise a convertible note and hopefully not raise capital again for a long time. Certainly not raise from some of these VCs that other media companies raised from in 2015, 2016, 2017. And so doing that, we need to hire a lot of people who had very little experience and, and we emphasized in our hiring practice from the beginning, the ability to teach yourself and learn. Now, as we've grown to a bigger company, we're starting to hire 
more experienced people. We hired uh, a head of brand partnerships and integrated marketing who came over from MediaLink, who has a decade plus of experience. And so all of a sudden, we have the luxury of hiring people who are thought generators, idea generators, who are coming to the company, not because they think they can go from zero to one, but they think they can go from one to X, from one to five, one to 10, uh, you know, whatever those units you think are. But it's really exciting to now bring on leaders with us, people who can teach me, teach Alex, and help to grow this company. Uh, so it's just it's a really exciting time here at the brew. Yeah, and I'm curious if you can tap in because it may be helpful for folks out there again that are trying to grow their own thing. Maybe it's a side hustle, um, but around like mailing lists and newsletters and stuff like that. Is there any piece, whether it's from a content play or growth strategy, anything you remember from early on, or maybe things you're doing now? That could be a tip or two to help folks out that are trying to maybe grow that that brand, if you will, or, or their own email newsletter or anything like that. Anything you would share that might be helpful that it can start right away? It all comes back to focus. For us, we spent three years focused on a single product, which is one newsletter. And we said, how are we going to grow it? How are we going to write it? And how are we going to sell it? And every day, we thought about those three things. Writing the best quality content growing it with the highest quality subscribers and working with great partners to monetize the newsletter to fuel back into more people to write and more growth. And so that's what we've been focused on. And what I see is the biggest mistake people make is that they're focused on so many different things. They're doing a podcast and a newsletter and their Twitter and their Instagram and their LinkedIn and this and that. And that's totally fine. But you have to have the right expectations. And if your expectations are you're going to grow your email list from zero to 100,000 while you're also focusing on posting blog, uh, blog content and social and everything else, it's going to be difficult. So it's mostly focused. And for us, it was three years of just dedication and focus to a single product every single day. That's definitely not the right mentality in terms of just focusing on an email product for a lot of other companies, but that idea of just staying relentlessly focused on very few things and getting few things right. You're much better off getting a fewer number of things, uh, 95% right, than a bunch of things 20 or 30% right. Yeah, and speaking of that focus, and now that you've built this, this subscriber list and kind of these raving fans, if you will, you know, going into these other products, as you call them, the one thing I did want to make sure we touch on is the podcast, because obviously you're on a podcast now. Um, I love when I saw you guys were coming out with this, because I'm like, oh, man, this is really cool. Because what I what I like about it is you can, t- you know, your normal folks, the 1.6 plus, you know, growing that just love the daily emails and kind of love that content. And that whether it's all of them or a smaller subset that say, you know, hey, I love longer form content. I want to get more in-depth stories on specific topics. Hey, this is a great outlet as well. Oh, and by the way, I trust these guys and gals um, to give me that content. So one of the things I love, because I remember even that first episode listening to, I was like blown away by like, wait a minute, you can, wait, they're thinking about, you know, splitting up like these big tech companies. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Um, So anyways, there's some fascinating stuff. What is, what was the genesis of the podcast? Why now, I guess, versus doing it six or eight months ago or waiting another year? Did it just feel like the right time or had been something you guys have been ideating for a while? It's actually a, a pretty funny story. So end of 2018, Again, back to that inflection point of the, we wake up and it's the, whoa, we have a real company. Let's figure out what we're doing. 
we thought through a bunch of different things. We thought through subscription. We thought through uh, every form of media you can think of. And we decided to ask our readers, what do you want? And look at reader feedback. And the beauty of email, there's a reply button. And so we get thousands of replies every single day. And we constantly got two pieces of feedback. And again, this is October-ish 2018. Uh, piece of feedback one, I wish I had morning brew for X. So for example, I work in marketing, or I work in retail, I work in advertising, or I work in technology. I love morning brew. Uh, I wish I had it for my industry. I wish I had it for marketing. And the second piece of feedback was, we love podcasts. We love you guys to launch a podcast. So October 2018, I do a little research in the podcast industry. And I said, yeah, we're, we're never doing a podcast. I just don't see it ever working. Uh, four months later, five months later, obviously we sit back down. And, and it was a few reasons why. One, to your point, we thought we'd built enough trust with our audience that we could move uh, eyeballs, although obviously it's not eyeballs, it's ears, uh, to another medium. Two, we think there's a lot of opportunity in podcasting. I think podcasts and newsletters have a lot of similarities. Uh, the main one being they're, they're very scalable. So you, you write the same newsletter for one person and a million people. You write the same, you create the same podcast for one person, a million people, and the ad units can really scale. And we really like that, that idea of, of creating the same piece of content and leveraging a piece of content to grow. Now, what we love about the podcast was a few things. One, we have an excellent host. Kinsey is incredible. And so that was a huge part of going to the podcast was we already had the host. We didn't have to go out and find one, but we had someone who we thought was amazing and could really connect with people who came on the podcast in a different way than a lot of other people, uh, other hosts out there. So we loved the medium. We thought Kinsey was great. And we spent three years being focused all so that we could now take other bets. And this is one of our bets. And so we're really excited. It's really young. Our goals are really ambitious with it. We want business casual to be a brand on its own where we can sell swag and take it on the road and have live podcasts and, and do a lot of really fun things with it. So it really is day one with the podcast, but we're really excited with how it's going. We have some awesome guests who have already been on the podcast and we have some awesome guests lined up. So it's, it's really exciting for us and it's a time to try something new and be creative and experiment. And it's really exciting for the whole team. Was it an easy decision to do the interview based platform, the kind of um, deeper content, because I'm assuming there were a bunch of ideas floating around. How was that? How did you guys, the inception of that idea and, and actually going that direction? Yeah, we, I have a lot of thoughts on, on podcast formats and we have a team that did a lot of research, especially uh, our, our strategy lead, Josh, helped out a lot with that. We thought the interview style for the weekly podcast for the general business newsletter made the most sense because we thought we had access to people who were worth listening to so that our readers wanted to listen to, but also these people felt as if they had a strong message to get across to our listeners and could talk about some of these areas that we couldn't talk about on a day-to-day -day basis. So... The interview style for us made a lot of sense. It satisfied a bunch of different things, uh, criteria. Going forward, 
as we begin to think about potentially launching more podcasts in different areas, we're going to constantly think through different formats. I personally absolutely love podcasts where you have two people talking and sure you can bring on a guest once in a while, but you build a rapport between two people. And as we look to launch other podcasts, we're going to constantly be thinking about different areas of focus for us and how we can create unique experiences for our readers, uh, for our partners, and just enhance the content we already create. That's great. And a great segue to the, you know, kind of what's next for y'all. What's maybe the next six or 12 months that, you know, people listening that know y'all and are subscribers or maybe folks that are going to sign up after they listen to this. Um, what can they expect from you guys that maybe you can share that's not behind uh, closed doors in the vault? Of course. So first and foremost, the podcast, you can expect us to continue to bring on great guests, experiment with it. Uh, integrate some social media components to it so we're going to get more active uh, on different platforms and, and look to grow those audiences and engage beyond just the once a week podcast. So that's really exciting. We're going to think about within each vertical we have. So take retail brew. We're thinking about how do we better engage retail professionals, whether that be an audio version for them, whether that be something in person, whether it be some deeper analysis, so we're constantly thinking about how do we better engage professionals in the area in which we're writing in. So retail emerging tech, I wouldn't be surprised if by middle of next year, we have at least one or two other verticals. And so it's a combination of enhancing the products we have, but also continuing to launch more verticals and help more people be educated in the areas in which they care about or work in. So I always like to end the, uh, the interviews on this and you can pull from wherever you want. It's kind of open forum, but maybe it's a quote you live by. It could be a great piece of advice you've gotten years ago, whatever it might be, but kind of a lasting impression on our conversation, something that, you know, folks can take with them and their, whether it's a motivation or inspiration, maybe some advice for them to kind of, you know, kick their button gear, if you will, anything that you use, you know, that's been helpful for you throughout your career uh, that you'd share to the audience. Yeah, so I, I actually, a year or so ago, started a little interview series. We did on Morning Brews Facebook. Uh, it was a Facebook Live, and I interviewed someone. Uh, he's another founder, and he actually said something on my interview with him that I thought was really awesome. Uh, and I'm not sure where he got it from, so I'm sure he didn't create it. So uh, I'm not going to credit the right person, but he said, uh, always focus on increasing uh, luck surface area. And what he meant by increasing luck surface area was give yourself the best opportunity to get lucky in air quotes. And he went on to explain uh, whether that means making the right connections or taking the right bets or being willing to grab an opportunity when it comes by. Uh, I always think about the idea of how can I increase the surface area of my luck such that we can look back and just like I can sit here today and say, oh, I was incredibly lucky because I was able to be at Michigan uh, when Alex co-founded Morning Brew with myself. Uh, how can I, going forward, continue to encounter these lucky uh, breaks? And I think it's, you know, part of that was us having Kinsey to start the podcast and so many other things. Uh, it's always in my mind about putting yourself in the best position to get lucky. Awesome. That's great, man. And, and I'll tell you what, I, 
I, I don't say this often. Like I said, I, I use a lot of, you know, different folks that have been on this podcast. You know, I bring them on because I actually use their products or, you know, I believe in what they're doing. Like I said, when I came across y'all, gosh, it's probably been, I don't know how many months ago, uh, but it's really been a game changer. I actually look forward to getting the emails in the morning. Um, I've been really enjoying the emerging tech one um, just because I, I kind of like technology and stuff. So I, I really appreciate you being on, sharing your story. Keep up the great work. I love what y'all are doing. And, um, and thank you again for taking the time out. Yeah, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that episode and look forward to having you on the next one. And if I could make one ask of the community, if you did enjoy this one or others, please head over to iTunes, leave me a quick review, give me a rating, let me know how I'm doing. It also gives a chance for this podcast to get bubbled up to more people, more exposure on it, and hopefully help other people on their journeys kind of get to that next level. And go check me out online. BrianAndraco.com is the website. Um, I have the podcast there, blog. I even have a now page to kind of keep people up to speed in the last couple months, what's going on in my world. Um, at worst, it allows my mom to keep tabs on me and make sure I'm doing okay. And feel free to connect with me on Instagram or Twitter, at BrianAndraco. Send me a DM. Let me know how you guys are doing, a little bit about your journey. I love to connect with new people and kind of hear what's making them passionate and motivated to reach fulfillment in their life. So I thank you guys again for listening in. I hope you have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.